are listening to episode 20 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 45, Welliver Orbital, January 13, 2373. Dr. Lehman and Mr. Herring arrived at the lock at almost the same time. Mr. Herring's arrival occurred so promptly on the tales of the offer, I wondered where he had been living. I gave Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arioni their choice of staying in their original compartment or moving to the newer one, and since the two were practically identical, they chose to stay in the aft compartment. Mr. Herring moved into the empty crew space, and Dr. Lehman took up residence in what we started calling Compartment A. A quick check of the tags on Mr. Herring's ship suits gave us the sizes, and I placed a rush order for five each with his name on them to match the ones that Ms. Arioni and Ms. Maloney already had. All told, we had rather a busy morning. At noon, Ms. Maloney served a delightful chicken-rice soup with more of her crusty bread. The scent of baking bread permeated the ship while we finalized our departure arrangements and got the new crew and passengers settled. It was a lively meal, made more so by Dr. Lehman's obvious pleasure at being aboard. As the meal wound down toward dessert, I walked through my normal checklist. Chief, is the ship ready to go? Oh, aye, Cap. Tanks topped and all the fiddly bits are present or accounted for. Thank you, Chief. Ms. Maloney, have we received the last replenishment order from the chandlery? Not yet, Captain, but they assured me that the tea you ordered and the ship suits for Mr. Herring will be here shortly after 1300. Thank you, Ms. Maloney. I could see Mr. Herring looking a bit flummoxed by the name, but I let him stew. Ms. Arioni, I'd like you to pilot us out today, if you please. Me, Captain? She shot a nervous look at Dr. Lehman. You're the only Ms. Arioni we have, and you're also working toward your ship handling rating, I believe. Well, yes, Skipper, but it's easy, Ms. Arioni, and I'll be right there with you. Mr. Herring, I'd like you to stand by the forward lock while we pull back. I'll show you how to manage the equipment after lunch, miss. Aye, aye, sir. He looked around the table as if trying to figure out what was happening. Andy, would you like to ride out with us up on the bridge? His eyes got round. Me, Captain? I think Miss Arioni already used that line, Andy. We had a good laugh while he wrestled with the idea. I'd be delighted, Captain. I didn't know it was even possible. Well, it's rather boring once we get out of the immediate local area. Lots of dark. Miss Maloney leaned forward to look around, Miss Arioni. Don't let him kid you, Andy. It's wonderful. Very well, then, I said. We'll seal the lock after the chandlery order arrives. I've planned pushback for 1530. I looked to Miss Maloney. We'll secure from navigation stations by 1600 or so, Miss Maloney, so you'll be able to deal with dinner. Thank you, Captain. That should be fine. Excellent. I smiled around the table. Let's move on with the afternoon already in progress, shall we? As the party broke up, everybody, including Dr. Lehman, helped with the first blush of cleanup, clearing off the table and getting things stacked. When that was over, I took Mr. Herring down to the lock and showed him where everything was and how to go about doing it without actually undocking the ship. He took it all in with rapt attention, and I took it as a good sign that he could recite it all back to me. While we were there, I saw the chandlery delivery approaching the lock and keyed it open, protecting us from the klaxon. It was a smallish shipment, so I just had them unloaded at the lock and thanked them for the prompt service. They left, and I set the secured-for-departure flag on the lock before giving Mr. Herring the box containing his ship suits. I had another smaller box for him, but the ship suits were enough for him to carry, and I took the rest up to the galley. I dropped the box of teas off with Ms. Maloney and followed Mr. Herring down to his berthing area and handed him the box containing his ship's tablet. When you get your gear settled, get with Ms. Arioni and ask her to show you around that tablet, if you would, Mr. Herring. He took it and held it awkwardly. 
Thank you, Captain. We're running a little fast and loose here, Mr. Herring, but do you have any questions? A couple, sir. My understanding is that I'm on bridge watch. Oh, yes. It's a pretty low-key evolution, and I'll sit the first one with you. You've done bridge watches on other vessels, and this one's not much different. Thank you, sir. Next, if her name is Maloney, why does her ship suit say Maitland? When she's ashore, she's Maitland. Aboard, she's Maloney. It's a long story, and if she wants to share it with you, she will. Otherwise, it's not mine to tell. Thank you, sir. He thought for a moment. I guess that's it for now. Welcome aboard, Mr. Herring. I left him unpacking ship suits and headed for the bridge. I needed to do some last-minute astrogation updates for 10 volt and wanted to make sure our course was correct before we pushed back from the orbital. By 1500, I was satisfied with the course and had filed enough of the astrogation updates to get through my first watch. I'd have plenty of time to finish them then. I stood and stretched and decided to make a last inspection of the ship. With the extra crewman and a passenger, it was beginning to fill up, and I wondered what it would be like if we ever got enough passengers to fill the bunks. I had visions of having to eat in shifts. I found everybody but the chief sitting at the table in the galley. Mr. Herring's hair made an interesting contrast with the blue ship suit. It didn't exactly clash, but it was vibrant. They all looked up and smiled as I came in. I nodded all around and asked Dr. Lehman, Are you all settled in? Yes, Captain, thank you. It seems very comfortable. Excellent. See Ms. Maloney if you need anything. Ms. Maloney smiled and nodded. It'll be like Ranger 19 again, Andy. Oh, gods, I hope not. I was two Staniers getting the stink of that place out of my nose. Well, we're on track for departure at 1530. Does everybody know where to go for navigation stations? I looked to Ms. Arione, who promptly replied, Bridge. Mr. Herring picked up his cue. Forward lock. Ms. Maloney thought for a moment. Is there room for me on the bridge, sir? Of course, Ms. Maloney. You can show Andy the way. He looked puzzled. Isn't it just up the ladder outside? He nodded in the direction of the passage. Yes, but you need to know the secret handshake, I said. I want to make another round of the ship before we go. See you in a few ticks. I sauntered back to the unoccupied compartment where we had stashed our spare supplies. I wanted to make sure that nothing would fly around if the maneuvering got tricky. The chief had mounted one screen on the bulkhead in that compartment, but I frowned when I realized he hadn't actually connected it to the console unit. It wasn't a high priority under the circumstances, but it irked me. The cases of spare linens and supplies for the heads were stowed neatly on the deck where they'd not topple, although they might slide. I couldn't see any way of improving the situation, so I went on to the next empty compartment. I pulled out my tablet and added a note to find storage space before we got to ten volt. There was probably a linen closet tucked into some corner that we'd overlooked. In compartment C, the vacant over and under between the chief's space and the port side head, I found that the chief had, again, mounted the screen but not connected it. When I flicked on the light to see what was going on under the desk, the panel only lit halfway. I had my tablet out, so I pulled up the punch list that Ms. Arione and I had made on those first few days aboard. Sure enough, that lighting panel fault showed about halfway down the list. I sighed and wondered how many more of the items were still not corrected. None of them were critical to the safety of the ship, but it had been weeks since I gave the list to the chief. I crawled under the desk, connected the screen to the console, only banging my head once as I crawled back out. A reminder bipped up on my tablet as I closed the door to the compartment, and I headed for the bridge. I found Ms. Arione already there, looking over the controls and scanning through the console screens. Nervous, Ms. Arione, she grinned at me. A bit, Skipper. I smiled encouragingly and patted her on the shoulder as I passed behind her to the engineering console. We need to notify traffic control and get clearance to depart. Can you do that? I flipped the toggles to fire up the console and brought up the ship's power schematics. Auxiliaries were hot and the sail generators showed safety standby. 
I think so, Captain. She flipped through a couple of screens before she found the correct one. Here? she asked, looking over to me. Yes, Miserioni, it's already got the ship's identifiers and I've stored the flight plan with it. Just toggle the send and it'll route to traffic control. I glanced at the chrono. You could do that now. While she did that, I brought up the auxiliary bridge control screen and got ready to clear the lock safeties. At 15.25, I keyed the intercom. This is the captain speaking. All hands set navigation stations. All hands set navigation stations. Prepare for pullout at 15.30. Ms. Maloney and Dr. Lehman scampered up the ladder, and I nodded at the two extra seats. Buckle up and enjoy the ride, I told them with a smile. I watched Dr. Lehman's face as he saw the side of the orbital out of the bow port. It registered surprise, but he made sure to securely fasten the seatbelt before he turned his head to look to port and starboard at the other small ships docked there. His face broke into an excited grin. I keyed the intercom to the forward lock. Are you all ready down there, Mr. Herring? All ready, Captain. When we're free, come up to the bridge, Mr. Herring. Aye, aye, sir. I keyed to the engine room. Are we ready to go, Chief? Oh, aye, Cap. Kick her and she'll go. Auxiliaries are hot. Safeties are off. Sail generators on standby. We'll go, Cap. Kick her and we'll go. See if we don't. Please send departure request to traffic control, Ms. Arione. Aye, aye, Captain. Send departure request. Her finger twitched. Sent, Captain. I saw the window pop up on her screen over her shoulder, but she read it to me. Granted, Captain. I tapped a couple of keystrokes and we heard the clunk of the safety interlock retracting at the bow, and I keyed the release. On my screen, I saw the lock go from green to amber to blank as Mr. Herring ran through the undocking protocols. I looked behind us to make sure there was nobody lurking back there and said, Tap it back easy, Ms. Arione. She got full marks from me because she stood and looked out the stern to make sure we were clear before tapping. A brief sense of movement and we were away, the skin of the orbital appearing to move away from us rather than the other way around. Back us out about a hundred meters, Ms. Arione, and then yawn ninety degrees to starboard. Aye, aye, Captain. Out a hundred, yaw ninety. She watched the proximity lidar as we floated gently away from the curving hull of the orbital. At ninety meters, she twitched the guide handles, and we spun neatly to starboard, moving eerily sideways and staring out into the darkness beyond the rounded horizon of the orbital. It took her a couple of times to get the yaw under control. She looked tense and nervous. Are you doing fine, Miss Arione? At two hundred meters, bring the auxiliaries up to ten percent. Pick up the beam to exit local space. Two hundred meters, ten percent, ride the beam. Aye, aye, Captain. The ship swung smoothly out, and she brought the kickers online just at the correct moment and used the maneuvering thrusters to put us on the guide beam for departure. As the kickers came online, I heard footsteps on the ladder, and Mr. Herring came clambering up. I stood up from the engineering seat and gestured for him to take it while I took the captain's chair at the back of the bridge. It set me up a bit higher and gave me a better view out. It also let me see the smiles beaming out of Dr. Lehman and Ms. Maloney as we threaded the needle through the traffic and headed out for the deep dark. I watched Mr. Herring observe Miss Arione at the pilot seat and approved of his alertness. I hoped he worked out. He reminded me a bit of an old friend, and I liked the notion that I might be paying some of the debt I owed my past. At 15.30, I announced, Secure from navigation stations, third section has the watch. Miss Arione didn't look like she wanted to give up the handles, but she stood and made room for Mr. Herring. They logged the watch change smoothly, and I winked at Miss Arione. Next time I'll put second section on so you can ride out with the sails, Miss Arione. She grinned. Thank you, Skipper. Miss Maloney rose and headed for the ladder, but Dr. Lehman kept his seat and turned to me. Is it all right if I ride up here for a time, Captain? Of course, Andy. Go get a cup of coffee and come back if you like. Consider that your seat any time you want it until we get to Tenvolt. He grinned. 
and from his expression you might have thought I had given him the world. I suppose in a way I had. Chapter 46, Welliver System, January 19, 2373. Five days out of Welliver, I had the afternoon watch and had just finished the interminable astrogation updates when Ms. Arione came bounding up the ladder to the bridge. Whoa there, I told her with a smile. You're still early. Skipper, isn't this a Higby 9500, the ship? Yes, Ms. Arione, why? Uh, Sire, I was fiddling about with my tablet and I found a new folder in the public area. She had something on her tablet, but was waving it around so that I couldn't see what it was. It had a lot of marketing materials about Higby Yards and the Higby 9500. Not unusual, Miss Arione. What has you so excited? There's a picture of the ship, Sar. Look! She flipped her tablet around so I could see it, and sure enough, there was a picture labeled Higby 9500 Starlighter, and under it a block of text, zoomed so small I couldn't read it, but the nature of the layout told me it had to be the marketing brochure. I looked at her and then looked back at the tablet. The image on her screen showed the ship, looking down slightly from the forward port quarter as if the ship were about to sail past the camera. The background of stars made it look like a digital image and not an artist's rendering. I leaned in to get a better look. Are those ports, Miss Arione? Apparently, Sar. According to the description, the Starlighter Hall has all these ports in it. She practically bounced. But we don't have ports, Miss Arione. We're a freighter. They also have shutters. Here, let me find it. She turned the tablet back around and zoomed into the text. I could see her scrolling and looking until she finally found the piece she wanted. Here we go, Sar. The Starlighter's integrated armor glass ports come complete with internal shutters to provide privacy while docked and for the comfort of those passengers who might find the view of deep space disconcerting. You think we've got a Starlighter hull, Miss Arione? Sar, you remember that schematic diagram with the extra shielding? What if it's not extra shielding? I sat back in my seat. What if they're ports, Sar? I spun my own tablet up and found the folder immediately, opened the image, zooming in and looking closely. I haven't seen anything that looks like a shutter, Miss Arione, but those do look like they're in the same place as those odd panels. I reached over to the main console and brought up the structural schematics that we examined back on Diurnia. Holding the tablet beside the console, it was apparent that the schematic showed what should be ports. I'd never seen anything like it. It doesn't seem like it should be too difficult to open them, should it? I have no idea, Skipper. Open what? Dr. Lehman climbed up onto the bridge and took his seat. I'm not interrupting anything, am I, Captain? He smiled at Miss Arione, who smiled back. Not at all, Andy. Miss Arione was showing me the pictures of the ship, showing the ports open. She held her tablet so he could see. Excellent design, I must say, Captain. I've never sailed in a ship like this, and all my stanniers crisscrossing the western annex. Miss Arione frowned and looked at me. I could feel my eyebrows climbing up my skull. I'm glad you like it, Andy. We're still learning about it, trying to give it a little update. Well, Captain, between those bunks, Christine's cooking, the view from the cabins, and the speed... Is it true we're almost at the jump? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, about another day and a half. Then we're only six days out of ten volt. I turned to Miss Arione. We need to relieve the watch, and then I'll go below and poke about a bit. Smells like Miss Maloney has something delicious cooking as well. We traded places with some alacrity, and I left her with Dr. Lehman on the bridge and headed for compartment B. As I entered, my eyes went to the bulkhead that marked the curve of the hull. I'd looked at it a hundred times, but had never really seen it. 
even when painting it. The seams and joints looked just like seams and joints to me. Looking at it with a new perspective, I could see a rectangular shape that might just be the shutter. But it was huge, delimited only by the fore and aft partitions. If that were a shutter, when it opened up, the entire bulkhead must shift somehow. A sense of unreality washed over me and left me standing there in an environment that was at once totally familiar and absolutely foreign. How the heck? I muttered aloud and then tried to think like a passenger. The designers could not have hidden the shutter controls. That just didn't make sense, so it must be in plain sight. Even Dr. Lehman seemed to have found it. He couldn't have a view from his cabin any other way. I looked back at the door and inventoried the fixtures around the room. Light switch, light switch, console, remote door lock, light switch, bunk, environmental control, light switch. Frowning, I examined the environmental control. I'd not looked at it too closely. It governed the airflow temperature independently for each compartment. On close inspection, I found no extra tabs, buttons, or secondary menus. I felt like a ninny. It had to be something obvious, something I had already seen and dismissed. I walked back out to the passage and started talking aloud. I'm a passenger. I've just come aboard. I don't know anything about the ship. I walk into my compartment. I twisted the knob and walked in, closing the door behind me. I toss my luggage on the bunk, and I look at the only feature in here, the console. I frowned at the console desk and turned on the console. The door lock release was right beside it, so I flicked it just to see if the lock would buzz or anything. It didn't. The switch felt odd, though. It was a rocker switch, just like every other electronic door release I'd ever seen, but it didn't reset automatically under my finger. It clicked. Frowning, I turned and examined the bulkhead again, thinking I'd missed something closer to the shutter. Instead of the bulkhead, I stared out through a crystal-clear port into the deep dark. I reached down and clicked the rocker switch in the other direction. Noiselessly, a panel rose up on the inside of the armor glass and obscured the view. Incongruously, my first thought was, why didn't I have one of these on the Agamemnon? The sound of dinner mess getting underway broke through my reverie, and I ambled back down to the galley and found everybody gathered. I quickly took my place at the table as Ms. Maloney brought out a roasted chicken with potatoes and a vegetable medley of carrots julienne and green beans. She served it with a curried rice side dish that was the most delightful color. I was so enthralled with the meal I almost didn't see Ms. Arione looking at me with a Well, did you find it? expression. I grinned and nodded. For the moment it would stay our secret, although one Dr. Lehman knew without knowing it was a secret. I'm not sure why I played it so close to my vest except the sheer vanity of not wanting to admit to the passenger that we, the crew, I, the captain, had no idea the ports were there all this time. After sampling the meal, I raised my cup and toast to the cook. Delicious as always, Miss Maloney. As much as I enjoy my own cooking, yours is considerably more satisfying. She nodded her thanks and graciously accepted echoed congratulations from around the table. After the meal, as had become our pattern, we all helped clear the table and stack the dirty dishes in the washer. As Miss Arione passed me, heading back to the bridge, I said, You might want to try your door locks when you get a chance. The rocker switch on the console... She looked confused, then startled, then excited. Thanks, Captain. She refilled a mug to take with her to the bridge and scurried up the ladder. I smiled as Dr. Lehman followed in her wake. I thought if he spent much more time on the bridge, I'd have to pay him his crew. As easy as our bridge watches were, I wondered if I could have passengers stand the watches. I shook the idea off. Dr. Lehman was hardly the normal passenger. 
The chief filled his mug and shuffled aft, heading for engineering. Mr. Herring followed, presumably heading for his bunks, as he had the mid-watch in a few stands. And then there were two, Miss Maloney said from the sink. I grinned at her and grabbed a dish towel. And then there were two. She handed me a pot and I dried it before stashing it under the counter. So what were you and Stacy talking about, Captain? Door locks? You know the door lock switch on the console in your compartment, Miss Maloney? Oh, the little rocker switch under the edge of the desk, sir? That's the one. Turns out it's not a door lock. The compartments don't have electronic locks. She turned her hand to stare at me, halting her washing as she did. What does it do, sir? It opens the shutter. There's a full-length armor glass port in your compartment, or I assume there is. There wasn't compartment B. Really? We can see out? I thought for a moment she was going to rush down to look, but she resumed sloshing soapy water in the cooking pans while the dishwasher sluiced and sanitized the dishes and cups. Oh, yes. I think there's one in nearly every compartment. Wait, sir. The little rocker switch? She looked down at the end of the counter. Like that one? I walked down and looked where she'd indicated, but didn't see one. Under the edge of the upper cupboard, sir. I looked up under the edge and saw the telltale switch. I eyed the curved forward bulkhead, trying to trace where the shutter must be in the lines and creases. I clicked the switch, and a full-height panel slipped open, dropping down from the top and rolling into the lower half of the hull, but exposing a gorgeous clear view forward along the bow of the iris and into the deep dark beyond. I heard Miss Maloney's breath catch as the panel pulled back. I didn't blame her in the least. It was breathtaking. The somewhat awkward placement of the table made much more sense with the port open. I was glad I hadn't had the chief mount a new console on that bulkhead. What do you think, Miss Maloney? I turned to look at her. Your restaurant has a view. She stood there, hands in a sink full of soapy water, transfixed by the sight of the star-speckled dark. The lights in the galley were a bit bright to get the full effect, so I crossed to the lighting panel and killed the big overheads, leaving the task lighting on the sink, stovetop, and counter to provide illumination. Captain, did you know when you bought it? She nodded at the darkness. Miss Maloney, it pains me to admit, I didn't know until Miss Arione showed me the sales brochure. Is it safe? The armor glass? It's actually stronger than the hull plating, for all that it's transparent. This technology has been around for a long time, but this is the most extreme application of it I've ever seen. It does explain one thing, though. What's that, Captain? I thought I bought a freighter. A ridiculously overpowered freighter with a hold ten times too small. And you didn't, sir? No, Miss Maloney. I bought a passenger liner. Or a big yacht, Captain. That would explain why my father bought it just after Mother left him. It would make a great corporate yacht. I thought about that and wondered why he'd not used it. Maybe he had. It seemed odd he would make arrangements to sell it if he were using it as a yacht. Miss Kingsley had said something about it, and I struggled to remember what. Something about the vessel not turning a profit. If he tried to haul freight with it, I think I understood why he wanted to sell it. So, Miss Maloney, if I can ask you to put your civilian hat on for a moment... You've traveled a lot on fast packets. What do you think a ticket on the iris would be worth to somebody who travels a lot and is sick of the tin can feeling? Tens of thousands, Captain. A man's voice answered me. Dr. Lehman had come down from the bridge and stood in the entrance. Good evening, Andy. Do you really think that much? Oh, yes. A regular passenger ticket on a liner costs at least a half a dozen kilocreds, depending on the liner and the distance. 
He's right, Captain, Ms. Maloney added. A ticket on the Ellis is about twelve kilocreds, depending on where. Family and company people don't pay that, of course, but that's the asking fair, and they get it. You saved me about 15,000 credits for giving me this ride for free, Captain, Dr. Lehman said, and I have to say that knowing what I know about this ship now, I'd have gladly paid twice that. I think my jaw dropped. It's business, Captain. If you can get me where I need to be a week or even two weeks faster than the next ship, and if I can dock rested, even energized from the voyage instead of ground down by the experience, the time-saving alone can make that difference worthwhile. Add the food, the comfort, and the view. I may never leave. Okay, no, I've got a job to do on Tenvolt, but I'll be done in a couple of months if you're back that way. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. We're not even there yet, but I appreciate the information and the vote of confidence. He looked at me with a half-smile. You really didn't know about these ports, did you? No, sir, I didn't. They sold me a freighter. I thought I had a freighter, and there was nobody around who knew the ship when I bought it. Well, Captain, I'd say you got the best of that bargain. So it would seem, Andy. I turned to admire the view once more. So it would seem... Chapter 47, 10-Volt Orbital, January 30, 2373. We knocked a 10-Volt right on schedule. The ship made the long jump without a shutter, and we dropped into the 10-Volt system within 1% of target. There's always a little slop on a jump. Sometimes it's quite a lot, and we try to account for it in our navigational calculations. Our jump to 10-Volt fell right on the money. Over the course of the voyage, I think Dr. Lehman logged more time on the bridge than I did, in spite of that, or maybe because of it, he left the ship right after breakfast with a huge smile on his face. When Ms. Maloney and I showed him to the lock, he shook my hand warmly and gave Ms. Maloney a hug, which she returned. Thank you, Captain, he said. I'll let my colleagues know about your ship. I suspect that when the word gets out, you're going to get booked solid. Thanks, Andy. I hope so. You know how hard it is to get started on a new venture. Indeed I do, Captain. Be thinking what you charge for a long-term charter. Think something like quarterly, even annually. I suspect there are companies that would pay handsomely to have a vessel like this on retainer. Thanks. I'll do that. He turned to Ms. Maloney once more. Hey, you take care, huh? And don't be a stranger. You've got my contacts, Andy. Drop me a line when you can. I'll be wandering around the quadrant for the next few months, but by the end of the stanier, things should stabilize. You'll have to let me know how this all works out, he said, looking back and forth between us. I will. As soon as the stanier's up, I'll buy you dinner and tell you all about it, Ms. Maloney promised. I'll hold you to that, he called, as he headed down the ramp. We buttoned up after he left, and I turned to Ms. Maloney. So? How did it work? What's that, Captain? Being in the steward division. A division of one, with one passenger to care for and him an old friend? She smiled and shrugged. It was okay, sir. She looked around the hold, casting her eyes around the ship. No. It was actually fun. She paused for a couple of heartbeats. I have to say, I was really dreading this. She sighed and looked back at me. So far, it's not turned out anything like I thought it would. Well, there's still a lot of time for it to go bad on you, Ms. Maloney. Try to keep a proper perspective. She snickered and headed back to the galley. I better get that replenishment order together for you, Captain. She waved as she left. I eyed the cargo cubes lined up and waiting for the loaders to come grab them. On the way to 10 volt, a number of single and double cube priorities surprised me. Sagamore Systems owned the lease on 10 volt, and they made an array of communications and systems gear, shipping small amounts of cargo to large numbers of customers. During our sail in from the jump point, I'd snagged several dozen priorities heading back to Diurnia. 
Since Iris could make the jump to Diurnia in a single hop, I planned to keep my eyes and ears open for more of the small, high-priority shipments. Given that we could carry 300 cubes when fully laden, the aggregated priorities would add up to a considerable amount. In the meantime, I needed to pick up my steward endorsement so we could legally carry passengers. Then I needed to find a passenger or two to make the trip to Diurnia with us. As if that weren't enough, sometime during our stay, I needed to replace the ShipNet Communications bus board to get more speed and accuracy on the shipboard systems. I headed up to Compartment B, and Mr. Herring met me at the top of the ladder. "'Excuse me, Captain,' he said with an apologetic smile. "'Will we be having liberty here?' A pang of remorse stabbed me. "'Of course, Mr. Herring. We're too small to hold a brow watch while in port. Just check in once a day. Keep your tablet handy.' I'm planning on shaking the dust off on the second and trying to get our share values up a bit for the run back to Diurnia. He cocked his head. Really, Captain? Until Friday? Well, I said, I'd appreciate it if you didn't just disappear, but sure, keep your tablet handy and don't get so tied up that you can't leave on a half-day's notice in case we grab a hot priority and I decide to get out of here early. In the end, I decided I would keep Mr. Herring at Ordinary Spacer. Our port stay would be a litmus test for him, if he went ashore and didn't bother to come back to help out, I'd leave him at ordinary. Thanks, Captain. He beamed and headed for his compartment. Ms. Maloney was hip-deep in a store's order, but looked up when I stepped into the galley. Any idea how long you'll be with that, Ms. Maloney? I don't believe it'll take more than a stand, sir. I'll forward it to you when I'm done. Thank you, Ms. Maloney. That scotched the idea of installing the communications board for the moment, but remembering all the disconnected screens, I headed around to tie up the loose ends. The task lasted less than a stand, but reminded me that I needed to find a place for what I'd started thinking of as the steward's supplies, the spare linen, supplies for the head, and the extra towels. On a ship as well thought out as the iris seemed to be, it made no sense to me that the builders forgot some facility to store the materials necessary for the smooth operation of the ship. A brief investigation of the port side head turned up a storage closet tucked under the curved portion of the hull, and I made quick work of splitting the supplies among the closets in each of the heads. My rummaging about woke Miserione, who had taken advantage of our port stay to get a little extra sleep. Sorry, Miserione, I'm just trying to get some of these loose ends tied up. That's not a problem, Skipper. I needed to get up anyway. Can I help? I pointed to the pile of empty boxes and packing material. If you'd bundle that up for disposal, it would save me some time. Of course, sir. Anything else happening? The cargo handler should be here in about half a stand to clear out Dr. Lehman's shipment. I'm going to swap out the ship net board, so watch out for the net to go down briefly. Okay, Skipper. You're not planning on any trips ashore, are you, Sar? Not at the moment, no, but I'd like to grab a bit of downtime. Maybe explore the flea market here and see if there are any more hangings? Might not be today, but at some point, preferably in the afternoon. That's what the guys used to say back on the Agamemnon. Better deals in the afternoon. That made me laugh, but also reminded me of a certain sapphire smile, and that made me sigh. Ms. Arione caught both of them, I think, but made no comment about either. Okay, Skipper, if you'll clear the passage, I'll get this litter cleaned up. Oh, sorry, Ms. Arione. I grabbed the box with the communications board in it and headed for the subsystems closet and engineering. As I slipped down the ladder, I caught a whiff of scrubber and frowned. Chief, are you down here? Getting no answer, I stood the board beside the engineering console and went to inspect the scrubber. When I opened the case, the whiff got stronger. The filters looked like they were due for replacement. I sent a note off to the chief, asking him to replace them before we got underway. The memory of Captain Allison was still fresh, and I had no intention of reliving her experience. As I finished sending the note to the chief, Ms. Maloney's replenishment order dropped into my inbox. 
I took a moment to review it, noting that it had several new items on it, including some herbs and spices. I forwarded it to the chandlery and then sent an all-crew notice to the ship to notify everybody that the ship net would be secured for a few ticks. Unwrapping the new board brought back memories of the Lois McKendrick. In hindsight, Mr. Von Nichols had been a huge influence on me. That influence helped shape my career and systems, which in turn pointed me to the Academy. I hoped he was doing well and wondered if he was still sailing. I popped a catch on the systems closet and soon had the old board swapped out for the new. I used the chief's console to reboot the subsystem. By the time I got to the right screen, the hot swap routines had already tied off the loose ends, fired up the ship net, and re-established communications with the orbital. My tablet bipped with the order confirmation from the chandlery. A few diagnostics later, and I felt confident to send the all-clear to the crew. The klaxon went off then, startling me with how loud it sounded, even in engineering. Glancing at the chrono, I realized it must be the cargo handlers, a beat feet for the lock. By the time I opened the hatch into the back of the cargo bay, Ms. Arione had already let them in and lowered the ladder to the deck. I crossed to the lock, carefully avoiding the carriers as they whizzed in and out of the hold. In less than a stand, the hold was empty again, and the lead cargo handler and I exchanged thumbprints for receipt and delivery documents. Ms. Arione closed the big lock behind him. When she turned to me, there was a huge grin on her face. That's the first time I've seen them from deck level, Skipper. That's impressive. Indeed it is, Ms. Arione. A whiff of funk reminded me that I needed to find the chief engineer, and soon. Have you seen Chief Bailey this morning, Miss Arione? Oh, yes, sir. He went ashore a few ticks before the cargo people arrived, said something about stretching his legs a bit. I pulled up my tablet and sent him a priority message on the ship net and attached a return receipt request. If I were any judge of scrubbers, ours was about to have serious problems, and I didn't want to stink the ship up before taking on passengers. Which reminded me of four other things that needed doing, and I sighed. Problem, Skipper? Too much to do, too little time, Ms. Arione. Anything I can do to help, Sar? I'm not planning on going ashore any time soon. Yes, there is. Do you remember that punch list of discrepancies we did the first few days we were aboard? I sure do, Skipper. Do me a favor. Run through that list. Not all of them, just spot check, maybe a dozen or so. See how many are fixed. Sure thing, Skipper. My pleasure. She pulled out her tablet, and I flashed the combined list to her. I followed her up the ladder, and as she went in search of some of the items on the list, I went into my cabin and began looking for passengers. Being used to freight hauling, the passenger system always seemed a bit backwards to me. I suppose it made sense, but it just felt odd. When somebody had freight to ship, they could contract with a hauler, if they knew one, or they could just add their cargo to the cargo available list, and ships would book the cargoes they could take. It worked well because we could pick the cargoes that fit our ships and our schedules. Passenger traffic got handled differently. Most passenger carriers set up regular routes and had regular runs between and among the systems. But those were the big carriers. They had dozens of ships with passengers crammed into the hulls to generate the most revenue possible. Little carriers, like I hoped Icarus would become, carried freight and passengers in a kind of ship-for-hire basis. Most of the fast packets carried a few passengers on the side to help add to revenue without running over their mass limits. Instead of the passengers signing up in a clearinghouse, the ships with open spaces registered their sailing specifics and waited for passengers to pick them. I fired up the passage clearinghouse on the console in my cabin and scrolled through it, familiarizing myself with how it looked and the kinds of postings needed. They weren't exactly free form. Each listed a destination, a sailing time, estimated arrival date, passenger limit, fare price, and then a small box listing amenities. 
Scanning the list, it seemed that most of the packet bursts were for systems that were fairly close to 10-volt, like Kazyanenko and Foxclaw, with a smattering for systems a bit further out. I saw one for Martha's Haven and one for Diurnia, with transit times around 20 days. That information gave me what I needed to position the iris, but I still needed to visit the local office of the CPJCT. Over two weeks had passed since I took my test, and I still hadn't received my steward's endorsement. I needed that before I posted for paying passengers. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.